Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're continuing our Kingdom Culture series, and this morning we're going to be looking at a familiar passage, which talk about the, the Lord's Prayer. But before we get into that, all right, Super Bowl Sunday, how many Patriots fans we get out there? Wow. All right, divided, not even a divided room. There's like, there's like a few faithful. All right, how many Rams fans we got today? All right, seriously, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. I'm going to go sit down. It's like everyone's disappointed by the Super Bowl. All right. Um, well, regardless of how this room feels, about 150 million people are going to tune in to watch this thing uh, this evening. And uh, some folks are just going to get together because they love to get together. It's a great excuse to have a party. Some people are going to be in a room because they love the snacks. Uh, most people that are actually watching the game are going to be more interested in the commercials than they are the actual game. That's all right, and there's no shame in that. Um, but there's going to be a few people that are really, t- you know, just that are NFL fans that are dialed into the game. And um, at the center of this game is going to be one name that you're going to hear over and over, and you either love him or you hate him, and that's the name of Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. All right? Yeah. Regardless of how you feel about him, that name will be spoken over and over this evening. And uh, for good reason, there are a few holdouts, but most consider him to be the greatest of all time, the greatest quarterback. A lot of that has to do with just the sheer amount of Super Bowls that he's been in. This will be his ninth appearance as a starting, or it will be his eighth as a starting quarterback, but his ninth overall as a starting quarterback for his team. And, I mean, it's just amazing to think about the longevity of Tom Brady's career. All those folks that are performers just love Tom Brady. So I'm a big fan down in the front row here. Um, but uh, this year, for untold numbers of years, Tom Brady sold the most jerseys in the NFL once again, right? He has transcended the sport. And um, so literally... Tonight, like all over the world, people will be talking about the name of Tom Brady. They will be wearing jerseys with Tom Brady's name on the back. And that's a little bit, I mean, you kind of picked up on that theme from worship. I mean, that's a little bit about what we're going to talk about today is just how do we as the people of God. So, I mean, the world is really good about getting branding out there. They can carry the name of Tom Brady all over the world, marketing and all of those things. But how do we, as the church of Jesus Christ, carry the name of Jesus to the world in such a way that it brings both life to us and hope to the world? And we're going to look at that through the lens of the Lord's Prayer, where we talk about this idea of hallowing the name of the Lord. And that's not a phrase that we use a lot, but we're going to talk about why that's important and why that can bring us life as a church and why that can bring hope to the world. And what we're going to learn this morning as we look at this is that this is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. And not only is this something that we're meant to long for and to hope for, but it's also something that we're meant to labor in light of. And so we're going to just do a deep dive on one phrase from the Lord's Prayer, but we're going to look at the whole thing. So if you have your Bibles open, would you stand with me? We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses six or 7 through 13. And when you pray, 
Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you just for another opportunity to be together as your people I thank you that we don't do this out of religious necessity, but we see it as a source of life. I pray that you would manifest who you are among us through your word, through what you've done in the gospel. I pray that you would connect us to you both individually and as your people. To do that, we need you to send your spirit to help us to understand your word, but we also need you to perform this word inside of us so it becomes um, not just something that we understand but something that becomes part of our life and part of our culture that we would truly be able to live out the kingdom of God together. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. So we're talking about over these several weeks the idea of being a kingdom culture and being a kingdom culture means that we are a worshiping community. We're going to talk this morning about how do we hallow God's name? How do we hallow the name of Jesus? That's not something that we talk about a whole lot, but I mean, really, this is the central thing that we're to be about as the people of God. The name of Jesus is at the center of all that we do as the people of God. I mean, Philippians 2 says that he has the name that's above every name, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His name is set apart. His name is different. His name is the only name that can save anyone. All of the miracles that are done and performed in the New Testament, they're done in the name of or in the authority of Jesus, right? And so when we're talking about hallowing his name, we're talking about centering our lives and centering our church on making much of Jesus. And and what we're going to understand this morning is that hallowing the name of Jesus and hallowing God's name is the way that we both experience life and it's the way that catalyzes our mission to the world. And so we want to just look at this in, in in a real prolonged kind of way. So to hallow God's name means to reverence it, to set it apart as holy, but it also means to enjoy it and to make much of it. So we want to be a group of people that love to sing, that we love to proclaim the name of Jesus because he is the source of life. His name is different than any other name. Now, the way that names function in the Bible are are a little bit different than the way names function for us. And so the way that my wife and I picked the name of our children was because they sounded good, at least to us, um, with our last name. And there was this funny interchange between some of my children this week. They, they found a website called howmanyofme.com. And so this tells you how many people in the United States actually have your name. And so they wanted to know 
Um, they all want to be unique. They all want to be set apart. And so they kind of went through and put all their names in there. Uh, and I was the second most unique name because my name is Chad Wick, not Chad Rogers. So I had, there's 13 people that have that name in the United States. My son Haddon, though, had the most unique name. There's only two Haddon Rogers in the United States, at least according to this website. And so he was feeling special. He was feeling set apart. But this idea that, that the name of Jesus is absolutely unique. This is the only name. His authority, his power, his ability to forgive you, his ability to change your life. That is the most set-apart thing about us as the people of God. And so when, we, when in this prayer, when we're praying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're saying, how do we set apart his name as holy? How do we center everything that we do on who he is? Listen, we're... We as the people of God, we continue the mission of God and seeing the kingdom advance because Jesus has already done it all. Like We get to live on this side of the cross where it is finished, where he has won forgiveness for his people, where he has won the salvation of people from every tribe, every tongue, every language, and every nation. And we just get to live out the story of what he has already purchased on our behalf. But when we talk about the name of God in Scripture, we're talking about His character. His name reveals who He is. And so to allow God's character to really come to rest on you in a way that makes a difference means that we need to worship Him. We need to reverence His name. That's the only way that you're ever going to experience life. It's not just remembering true things about God, but it's actually rejoicing in who He is and what He's done. And so God's name reveals who He is, and it also governs and sets the agenda for all that He's done, all that He's done for us. And also in this prayer, we're praying this over and over. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying, God, would you allow the atmosphere of earth to become the atmosphere of heaven, or of heaven to become the atmosphere of earth? Would you allow the atmosphere of heaven, even more particularly, to be the culture and the air that we breathe as a local church? Like when you step inside this room, that there's something unique and distinct about when we come together as the people of God. When you scatter from here and you gather inside of gospel communities, that the aroma and the presence of God fills all that we do. So we want the culture of heaven to shape and influence our culture as a local church. Uh, My friend Brian referred to this a few weeks back, but culture is what most of the people do most of the time. So for us to be a worshiping community that, that really is able to see the kingdom of God come, it means us setting apart and hallowing the name of God. So it's what most of the people do most of the time. Now we don't think about culture a whole lot um, because culture most of the time is invisible to us. Right, unless you're thinking about a different culture. So you can take the culture of the United States of America and you can compare it with the culture of India. Those two things are very different because the beliefs and the values of the United States are radically different than the nation of India. 
But that gets a little bit more complex as you start to get a little bit closer when there's more shared values. So you have, if you're comparing the culture of Arkansas to the culture of New York, there's some commonality there, but there's still a lot of disconnect. And then it gets even like more complicated when you think about the culture of Jonesboro over and against the culture of Pocahontas and Pine Bluff and all these other cities that are around us. How do, how do those cultures compare? And what's really tricky for us as the people of God is that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, right? And the kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God, like, over everything. And we're supposed to take our values and the worth of the King Jesus, and we're supposed to have those things set our agenda, but we're actually rooted and grounded in a different kind of culture. Like, our feet are here in Jonesboro, but what the church is meant to be is a living laboratory for the kingdom of God, where his power and his worth and his value is made manifest when we come together. So we want the culture of heaven to inform our culture here. So... For the rest of the time, we want to talk about, just in particular, how does our worship culture become like the atmosphere of heaven, right? Because this is where we're all headed. Whether you know it or not, this is what you were created for. This is deep down what your soul is longing for. And the kingdom of God holds a lot of tensions, right? A lot of nuance, Today we live in a very polarizing age that that wants to fit people into really narrow categories. So you've got Republicans over here, and you've got Democrats over here, and you just have to fit into one of those two boxes. But the truth is that the kingdom of God transcends political parties and political values. It is absolutely necessary for us as the people of God. You can simultaneously be outraged by what's going on in New York and Virginia, that people want to terminate babies in their third trimester as they're coming out of the womb. You must be alarmed by this as a citizen of the kingdom of God. So you can have that, but you also can care deeply about um, the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. You don't have to fit into a neat political party. The kingdom of God demands our allegiance. And so for the kingdom of God to become um, the shaping value you of us, we have to live our life with a little bit more nuance than you fit over here and you fit over here. No, we have our foot in this culture, but we allow the culture of the kingdom of God to shape how we live our lives. So when we're talking about our worship culture, we're going to talk about some tensions that we're trying to manage as a local church, that we're trying to live in the good of. Some of these things you probably have experienced on some level, but I think there's some value in saying these things out loud so that we're all on the same page. And the first tension that we're going to look at is um, that tension between we are our own private devotion and developing a sense of corporate privilege. So private worship, public worship. Both of those things have to go together. So they should fuel and feed one another. The truth is we were created by God to be worshipers of him. And what we do in private affects what we do and how we gather here. And so we want individuals to be passionate, individual lovers of Jesus, right? But our our corporate experience can't go any further, honestly, than our own individual experiences coming together. But then there's this other tension where... um, 
our corporate experience, this isn't something that we have to do, but it's something that we get to do, is meant to shape how you worship throughout the week, right? That we all come together and we take the bread and the wine, we open up God's word and we sing songs and that's meant to shape who we are as individuals. Both of these things go together. Our desire is that every person in this room would have a living and a growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That you would, when you are on your own, and this is something that we're working towards, that you would be able to open up God's word throughout the week and be met by him. Not just that you would open up and see words on a page, but God's word would lead you into a living relationship with him. Right? So like last week we were talking about our cares and our anxieties, that you would be able to see through Scripture that God is inviting you to cast those cares and those anxieties on Him because He cares for you. And we want that for every single person in the room. And one of the things that that we've done over the last year is develop some prayer exercises. And so you will notice those. I want to thank Caroline Parsons. She's right up here. She is our deacon of prayer and spiritual formation. I mean, she is writing these each and every week to go along with the sermons to kind of bridge that gap between what we do in private and what we do in public so that we're all kind of on the same page. We all are living our own lives. But um, as we go through some of these things, we're thinking about and we're meditating on the Word of God together. And we can encourage each other over and over again. And if you want to access those, they're on the website under the sermon tab. They're also on social media. And this is just another chance for us to develop what does it mean for us to live the life that God has called us to live as individuals. The truth is, I mean, we talked about this over and over. Most people, our definition of discipleship is being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and trying to do the works that Jesus did. Most people want to skip to becoming like Jesus and doing the works that Jesus did. But we see it as vital and necessary that we actually spend time with him. I can't, I, I've shared this quote in numerous contexts with our leaders I just want you to know what we're shooting for. We want individuals to be filled with overflowing with the presence and the power of God through the Holy Spirit, right? That's what our lives are meant to be. I want to read this quote from a man named Bernard of Clairvaux. And this is is talking about living a life of overflow and becoming a reservoir which God can use. He says, The one who is wise... Therefore, we'll see their life as more like a reservoir than a canal. The canal simultaneously pours out what it receives. The reservoir retains the water till it is filled, then offers the overflow without loss to itself. Today, there are many in the church who act like canals. The reservoirs are far too rare. They want to pour out this stream forth before they have been filled. They are more ready to speak than to listen, impatient to teach what they have not grasped, and full of presumption to govern others while they do not know how to govern themselves. And so listen, we're all growing and we're all in process, but we all need to be shooting for the same thing. We want to be filled to overflowing with the presence and the power of God. That's the goal of meeting with God through Scripture, that your personal devotion to Jesus would grow. And then 
That's intention with this idea of what happens in this room is absolutely special and it's absolutely unique. I mean, when the people of God, I mean, I mean, I just think of that picture in the Old Testament of the tent of meeting. And Joshua would just kind of hang out. Moses would go in, but, but Joseph would just watch because there was something unique going on when the presence of God met with Moses. He would come out and his face would be shining. And now, as the people of God, we are being built together as a spiritual dwelling place for God. There's something that happens here that does not happen in your small group. There's something that happens here that does not happen in your personal quiet time with God. That when all of us come together seeking Him with a, a desire and an expectancy that He's going to meet with us, it fills us and it guides us, right? And we become more like these reservoirs because I promise you, right, tomorrow what's going to happen is your cup's going to get hit and you're going to spill out and you're going to leak and you're going to maybe need to get filled up and you're going to go to your gospel community and you're going to get a little bit more but there's something that happens when God's presence comes and we're among him that he fills us and that he leads us this is not a duty my deep prayer is that this church would become a place of corporate privilege that it is a privilege to be able to gather as the people of God Right? That this isn't something that we do when our schedules allow, but this is the anchor point. There's every single thing that we do gather, scatter, go on mission, all of those things are vital. But this is meant to be the highlight of the people of God, and it has been for centuries where they gather together, where we encounter God together. Um, James McDonald, in his book, Vertical Church, he says this. He says, No personal quiet time, no Christian book, no community or small group or service can substitute for the absence of God coming down to meet with his church corporately. The problem is you can't fake glory. You can't manufacture it or manipulate it or manifest it at will. Only God himself can bring glory into a church. And when he does, communities get shaken, lives get changed, and the fame of Jesus curls continually upon the shore of human hearts like a Hawaii Five-O wave. He's an older guy. All right, church is supposed to be a tsunami of glory every Sunday, and that is what we gather for. So whether you knew it or not, you may have just been excited to see a friend, but the motivation deep down with the people of God is that you meet with God and that God is making us into a group of people where it's a privilege to come together. So what does it look like to be a church where there's a sense of corporate privilege? It means that we all come together to serve, right? You don't just come to merely attend. You don't merely come to sing songs or listen to a sermon, but you come filled up so that you can pour out your life for other people. There are dozens and dozens of people in this room that need your spiritual gifts to come to bear on their lives. Right? Not just the leaders of this church can reach every person that's in this room. There's meant to be this living, dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit where your gifts of administration and your gifts of greeting and your gifts of encouragement come to bear when we come together. And listen, I think this place excels at that. But my prayer is that we would do that more and more so that we're coming into this room not just to receive, but we're coming into this room to give where you use your gifts to serve other people. 
whether it's sharing a scripture, right? And you notice more and more people are doing that on a Sunday morning. It's not just the leaders of the church. People are sharing, hey, this is what God, I think God is saying, where we're listening and responding to who God is. So we're trying to manage a tension between personal devotion and corporate privilege. Another tension that we're trying to manage is that between having an awe over who God is and a sense of intimacy. So you'll, as you look at the, the book of Acts and the church is born, it says in Acts chapter 2 that there was a sense of awe that came upon every soul. That people were being saved. Lives were being changed. The kingdom of God was going forward. The poor were being cared for. And a sense of the, the weightiness of God came to bear on every soul. That's our prayer as a local church. Because you were absolutely made to have a sense of awe, right? That's the reason that we go on vacation to the Grand Canyon or you go to the beach or you go stargazing or you like to jump out of a plane because your soul is made for bigness, right? Part of the reason that we come together corporately as the people of God is because we need God to overwhelm us with the sense of his greatness and his majesty and his glory. And there are times when the weight of who he is needs to come to bear on the circumstances of our lives. And oftentimes that doesn't just happen when we're alone with Jesus, but it happens when we are with God's people where his bigness comes to weight on the circumstances and the realities of our life. We're made to be filled with a sense of awe that the weightiness of who he is defines who we are. So that would mean very practically that the reason that we come into this room is to encounter God, right? It's not just to hear a sermon. It's not just to sing songs. But we want God to manifest who he is among us, that his weight and the reality of who he is would be the star attraction of why we are here, that we come together. I mean, there's this overwhelming experience of his bigness and his power. So we need that, but if if that's all that we had, you'd be tempted to think that God is somehow far off and somehow too big for you or maybe too concerned for you. But we also want to hold in tension this idea of intimacy with God, that he's a father that loves his children, that not only can you ask him to meet you, but he knows what you need before you even ask, that as you step into this room, that he's also like a shepherd that leads us beside still waters so that we receive his comfort and we receive life and we receive his joy. So we want a, a culture of both awe and intimacy where we are drawing near to God and knowing that he will draw near to us. So there's going to be times, and we did both of these today, where We sing songs that are loud and they are celebratory because I'm going to be honest with you, that is what heaven is like, right? (laughs) I mean, there is joy, (laughs) right? There's joy every time someone turns their life around and they run towards Jesus. All of heaven goes crazy and throws a party. And so this, what we do here, is supposed to be a little foretaste of what it looks like there. So there's supposed to be joy. So we're going to be loud and we're going to celebrate. And that's that's, that's whatever being turned up to 11 looks like for you, okay? So if you've seen the movie Spinal Tap, like this one goes to 11. Like, worship is about you being turned up to 11, Like right? So for some of you, like, being 11 
might mean that you start tapping your toe when we sing a song. All right, that might be 11 for you. All right, I I live life a little bit louder than that. So you're going to see me clapping and responding. Whatever 11 looks like to you, that's, that's what we're shooting for. Just this sense of responding with all that we are because of who God is. We're not trying to just mimic some style of worship, but we're just trying to respond to who God is. So we want to have a a sense of awe. So we're going to be loud and celebrate. But listen, this is our greatest desire that you personally would connect with God. So there's going to be times when we bow and we kneel. And and people have been doing this um, spontaneously, but we want to make this part of our culture where, I mean, we don't have like an altar, but I mean, if you feel like you want to come here and you want to pray, we're going to have times where this this is what we do. This is how we respond. And there's a sense of intimacy and a sense of closeness. So we're going to hold those things in tension, both in awe over who God is and in intimacy. And then finally, the final tension that we're trying to navigate is that between word and spirit, right? Word and spirit. So there are churches that value the word, right? Preach the word. They like to use the word Mesopotamia a lot, right? (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, we are absolutely committed to God's word. This is the authoritative standard of all that we do. It is inerrant. But I'm going to say this really carefully. We don't worship the Bible, right? We worship the God of the Bible, Right? So we want to understand the Bible because this connects us to what it means to have a relationship with God. So there are churches that value the word. We do too. And then, you know, on the other side, you have churches that value the spirit. And that's usually sometimes when the crazies come out, right? And you get white suits and blue hair and lots of crazy stuff starts happening. But as you look at the New Testament, what you see is a church that values the words of Jesus as the standard of all that they do, but also this dynamic relationship with the person and the work of the Holy Spirit that gives them a boldness and an unction as they go on mission. They also have gifts that they share with one another that helps them because when you're actually living out the mission of God, you need supernatural power to do that. You need supernatural encouragement. So the the phrase that that we're shooting for is that we want to be in eager and intelligent pursuit of both God's word and God's spirit, right? We're not looking to do something crazy. We're not looking to get a, you know, a cameo on TBN, but we do realize and believe with all of our hearts that for us to be able to do the things that God's called us to do in this city, that we need the power and the presence of God through his spirit. So we want to be a church that values both word and spirit. For us to be able to hallow the name of God and hallow the name of Jesus If you really want to do that, what the Holy Spirit does is shine a spotlight on Jesus, right? I mean, the Spirit is the person that says Jesus is glorious. Like, no one comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ apart from the Spirit making much of Jesus. But there's also, to be a a fully-orbed Spirit people, Romans chapter 8 says, that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, right? So listen, I don't talk a lot about this, but your pornography issue is a charismatic issue, 
It is being filled with the Spirit. If you walk by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The walking by the Spirit is the key to sanctification in the Christian life, right? It's not, just about, it's not just about having gifts so that we can be enamored with the presence of God, which we love, but it's about having power to change. The only thing that can set you free is that the power that raised Jesus from the dead can set you free in your life, in your marriage, in your pursuit of God. So this is what it means to truly be charismatic, that we would be people that walk by the power of the Spirit. So we want to be in eager and intelligent pursuit of both God's Word and God's Spirit. And so we're going to sing songs that value both of those things. So this morning we sang um, just the doxology, songs that remind us truths of who God is. We, We sang, it goes like this, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, you heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I mean, there is a megaton of theology in that that reminds us. This is about all of creation coming around the truth of Father, Son, and Spirit. We're joining our voice with the historical church throughout all generations that we value the same things, right? So we're going to breathe in these deep truths about God. And then there's going to be other songs where we just let it loose. And, you know, we sang at your name, at your name, the mountains shake and crumble at your name, the oceans roar and tumble at your name. Angels will bow. The earth will rejoice. Your people cry out, Lord of all the earth. We shout your name, shout your name, right? So there's going to be moments when we drink in this deep theology of God and then there's going to be moments when we let it out because that's what we're made to do. We breathe in truth about God and we remember who he is and then we respond to who he is and that actually brings us life. Next week we're going to talk about how does that get out into the world but listen nothing can get out into the world that's not first in us right and that's why we have to be here and that's why we have to encounter God or we don't have anything to offer the world. The point of singing is not merely reminding, which is helpful, but it's actually to encounter the God we are singing to. So why do we sing? I'm going to close with this. We sing not because it's our favorite pastime, but we sing because God sings. Right? Zephaniah 3, verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Because the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And this is the song that we are longing to hear. He will exult over you with loud singing. We sing because God sings. We sing because we're joining with God. God is singing over his people because he loves his people. And it's to be this two-way conversation. God saying, I love you. And we as his people are saying, we respond. We love you. Thank you for delivering us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for clearing away all of our enemies by sending Jesus into the world. That's what it means for us to hallow the name 
of Jesus and to hallow the name of God. We set it apart and we make it the central focus of all that we do so that we can be filled up and we can offer hope to the world. Let's pray. Father, we so love you. You are an amazing, kind God. I pray that you would help us to make much of your name. I pray that you would meet us exactly where we are, that we would be able to respond, that we would be able to receive, that we would experience life. I pray that you would turn, turn us up to 11 on the inside so that we're able to respond to who you are. I pray that there would be freedom and life and joy at the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So we're going to sing and we're going to respond. We made plenty of time to be able to do that. The reason that we can come together and we can sing with joy and without fear is because Jesus laid down his life. We're going to celebrate this meal that commemorates all that he's done for us. His life was laid down for us. His body was broken for us. That's what the bread represents. And the cup represents his blood that was shed for us to give us a clean conscience so that we can approach him with confidence and with boldness. Um, This meal is not for perfect people, but for people that realize they need a savior. So if you've placed your faith in Jesus, this is an invitation to come to the table and see what grace tastes like. Um, A couple of words of practical instruction. The first half of the room can come to the front two tables. The back half of the room can go to the back two tables. These are the gifts of God for word people, right? We're going to ingest them so that we can also respond as spirit people. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. You can come take them as you're ready.